guys, welcome to another episode of the Counter Cool Podcast. Uh, it's me, your boy Outlaw, and I got my boys here, Matteo and Dick. And we also have a very special guest tonight, um, Poppy Joe. So we're going to do a part two on the Kabbalah, and this is why we brought in the big guns, um, Poppy Joe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. But before we get started, let's uh, go over our due diligence. Um, again, keep praying for Maynard, and you guys can financially support him. We have a, a link on our uh, Discord channel, and uh, you can also uh, ask Maynard for um, his, uh, I believe it's a GoFundMe. Then, um, oh yeah, we're also selling our... Uh, Counter Cult T-shirts on uh, Teespring. Is that is that right, Dick? Uh, no, it's T Public. T Public. T Public. T Public. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. It's T Public. And let's see what else do we got going, guys. Uh, I, I wanted to go ahead and mention for we've got all of our buddies going to the 40 and Airwaves show. Uh, of course, we're sending uh, Matteo. He's headed up. Um, so we will we'll, we'll be represented. You go up there and represent the uh, black sheep <laughs> of the podcasting world, Maddie. Uh, but yeah, guys, they, I, I think they've got. I know they've got a limited number of seats left. Buy those up because that's uh, you know it's an awesome. It's you know fuck you get a whole weekend of hanging out with those guys. All those dudes are, are awesome dudes. Uh, you get a pancake breakfast. I mean that you know you'll be you'll be seeing live podcasting going on. So if you're if you're a fan and can make it out, we definitely uh, would love to to uh, promote that for those guys. I think it's like what fifty bucks a ticket, Maddie. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I'm super excited, man. I can't wait. Oh yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, I wish I could go, man. Especially up Ohio is my uh, my paternal side hails from Ohio. So, but uh, yeah, I wish I could go, but I can't. But Anyways, if you guys if you guys are interested in that, definitely, uh, and you haven't heard of it, which I'm sure you have, uh, support those guys and go out and have a good time. And I think that's all I've got today. Oh yeah, so we're gonna kick it over to uh, Maddie and Poppy Joe. I know last week we talked about just a general um, introduction about the Kabbalah and Sohar, but we're gonna take it just another notch and. Uh, yeah, anyway, I want to kick it at you guys, so, man, it's all yours. All righty. Hey, oh, yeah, yeah, we left off with uh, with the Zohar, talking about how were the Zohars discussing uh, the expulsion of the spiritual creation of man into the material, which wasn't really so much of a expulsion as it was kind of uh a rapture due to the initial sin which was some over infatuation uh from adam of the shekinah or the that kind of feminine divine aspect of the mahut um what are, what are your thoughts on that poppy where are you at with that stuff yeah no i i did that about you know i was looking into that about 15 years it take me probably about three months to catch up to where you are but I think yeah. when um, I did finally get that, the rest of that version, that uh, episode downloaded. So I got to catch okay. the rest of it. So I think you were at about, in terms of the uh, the writings, about, uh, was about 500 CE. Does that sound right? Yeah, we started, we started around there. The 
Zohar is you're looking at about twelve seventy common okay. era. Okay, um, so like you're looking at yeah, yeah, just before uh you've got a couple what hundred more years and then you're into that uh converso culture there that we had yep. discussed at one point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So so and that's kind of getting I think that's close to, to Luria, isn't it? Or no, he was a little earlier than that, right? Yeah, yeah. Luria is pre Zohar. That's who they based a lot of the ideas off of because he's the guy that kind of set the stage um, and really kind of uh, set that the Sephirotic tree into the big there where it was now this versus previously it wasn't emanations. It was, you know, the divine light or, or this or that. And there was no real concise form for the use of the Sephiroth. And that's kind of one of the things Loria, Loria really tabbed down there. Um, and then you had a couple of different circles moving into Europe there. And then you get the Castile Circle, which is where the Zohar comes from. Now, the now that's not to say as a whole, because um, from my what I understand in the in the Orthodoxy, there is scripture. They believe that it was uh, Shimon Bar Yochai that these texts come from, but in all reality. What it seems is that uh, I forget the fellow's name right off the top of my head, but the Zohar came from Castile in Spain, uh, circa 1270. <laughs> okay, so right right around the time where they were they had the what was that the um, Alhambra <clears throat> agreement? Yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, just before the Alhambra went in, because um, they're they're still hanging out in Spain. They're doing okay. They're publishing the Zohar kind of probably in pamphlets um, at first because it's still kind of heretical. There's a lot of erotic courtly love, medieval era type stuff in there that would be taboo, especially oh, yeah, to traditionalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've also got more of the discussion into the demonic structure of the reverse side of the Sephiroth, the, the Klipo. That I had talked about that night on the powwow with uh, Justin. That, that was the uh, Azazel and Greater Lilith, or right. no Samuel yeah. and Greater. Yeah, that was cool. I don't, yeah, I don't that's, know what to make that's of that. a whole thing on its own. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And then you've got uh, that's where they start discussing that it's the only way to really eliminate evil is by rebalancing the cosmos by rebalancing the Sephiroth. Um, through strict adherence to Jewish law um, and essentially saying that Kabbalah, um, there is no Kabbalah without strict adherence to Jewish law. Um, and there was, they were especially, of course, focusing on sexual sins, um, especially the masturbation. They really weren't having that. And they, it's an okay, interesting thing. Uh, no, not really. They just, they were just real strict about it, man. You got to be pure if you're going to balance the universe. And it's it's kind of like know. no fap lifting, right? <laughs> Which I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. There's not a lot of evidence to support 
Um, <laughs> we can we can talk but, about your research into that some other time. But yeah, for this, sure. Uh, so I was actually looking into the Essenes and one of their uh, um, I, I wouldn't say loss, but not commandments, but they couldn't uh, on the holy days they couldn't defecate. They weren't supposed to. <laughs> well, that's that's a side story. That's uh, we can talk about that later. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. <laughs> Masturbation and defecation are, are two wonderful things in my life. <laughs> Well, luckily not. The masturbation doesn't have to. I don't have to rely on that so much anymore. But the the defecation—that's my time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little meditation time there on the throne. Yeah. Defecation, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Hey, if it rhymes, it works. <laughs> it's a sign. <laughs> At least it gets uh, my attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and with that, with that clipot aspect, you also get the flourish of demonology that starts to sprout right alongside all the rest of the medieval demonology of the time. Um, and that's kind of when you really see the appearance of uh, the Dybbuk. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the Dybbuk, there's also, I believe it's Ibik. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that one as well. Um but those don't really like become what we would see today until right around the time of the converso culture. Uh, shortly after the Zohar, you had uh, Gigatia with his uh, Sefer HaOrah, and he was a Zoharic Kabbalist. So this is where you really start to see the the Zoharic that focus on Zohar. Just it's overwhelmed it's one of like the last things to become canon jewish scripture um and then right after that you've got abu lafia who was kind of a controversial figure for some uh because he decided that he was um the messiah and he was going to rome and he was going to convert the pope and then he got off the boat in Rome, and they arrested him. But fortunately enough, that pope had died before <laughs> Abu Lafia could be killed, and uh, and he just kind of ends up disappearing sometime around like 1290, 1291. Uh, nobody sees him again. So he got out of that one, fortunately enough. But that's another thing we're going to start to see a lot of um, is the this slip into Kabbalists, this messianic movement of a sort. Uh, and do you think that's connected to the fact that it, <clears throat> everything after that wasn't canon? Like they just maybe thought this stuff's too dangerous? I think that's why they started after a few hundred years here. There's one big guy coming up that just caused a whole big ruckus. Um that was sabotage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Sabotage a V. Um, and then they really start going into the no, 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 no. You have to be, uh, I want to say it's 40 years old. You have to have a family. You have to have a job. You have to be solidified in our reality before you can even start thinking about trying to do anything outside of it because it just started to get dangerous. 
you know, you're looking at a time, especially when there's a big movement back to Galilee because of the Alhambra. Um, and along with that, you get a uh, Cordovero, um, and then you get uh, Shlomo Alcabets. Um, and he was really kind of concerned more with Jewish liturgy than he was anything else. But his, one of his relatives, I believe, was Joseph Caro, um, who had visions of the Magi. And that guy wrote like definitive code on Jewish law. Um, and then shortly after that time, you saw the first full print Zohar come out of Italy in like 15, 1558 or 1560. Um, what language is that in? Uh, I want to say that that one was in, I want to say it was in Latin, but I might be wrong because you're starting to also see the influx of this moving more widespread where, where the people are starting to have this issue where they're like, Oh, Hey, um, we're getting kicked out of here. Our lives are being threatened. This is the end times. So they start going, well, if Kabbalah is the way to fix things so that the Messiah can come back, then we need to start teaching people Kabbalah. We need to start getting everybody working to the, uh, what is it? Tikkun Olam. Mm -hmm. And from there, you know, get everybody working on repairing the Sephiroth so that when the Messiah comes back, he can defeat evil. This, these are the end days. Um, and I think that was, was a big so, impact. Yeah. So at the same time, <clears throat> the, the Jews are getting kicked out of Portugal and Spain, and they're thinking this is the end times. And they're kind of being shut out from the canon. It's almost like, you know, what do we got to lose? Let's release this right, right. to the masses. Yeah. So, so instead of it all being controlled, like it seems like the kind of more orthodox, uh, you know, the more orthodox part of Judaism, you know, they just said, look, we're just going to open the gates on this. Um, right. Yeah. We want as many people to, to start fixing this as we, as we can get, uh, this is the end dates, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and actually you were right earlier. I was wrong. Isaac Luria does come post Zohar because he was a, a, a Zoharist, um, in his okay, practice. Yeah. So that was, was my bad on was, that. Yeah. I think, but he was pre, he was pre Shabbatai. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to keep yeah. track of the timeline. There's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, because it was Cordovo before Loria, <laughs> and then Loria. Uh, he was also in Safed because they had all they all went back to Galilee or the area around Galilee, and so then that became like a little mecca, which is kind of a right, right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because if you look back further historically, you see that Galilee had a lot of uh, mystics and and things of that sort, prophets and mystics and Kabbalists and prominent figures in those realms already coming out of it, according to the history. So they all went back there um, to kind of return home to the Mecca of Jewish mysticism. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's if really, I'm not mistaken. No, I mean, that's interesting. So that's kind of where I think a lot of my interest in the past kind of started. Not so much, and, and it's not like I didn't look at you know some of your studying what exactly is Kabbalah, but I don't know what to say about it. Like it's just it is. It's like wow, this is just something so. But what got me interested, and I want to get back to some of the things that you were talking about, but just as kind of a little illustration of, you know, I always look at like, how does this affect things of that time and then moving forward time? Right. And I think right. Kabbalah had an absolutely huge influence. So yes. I'll I'll just kind of go through some of the people that I, I came up with either, you know, recently, and this is not, this is not in depth. This is like mostly just, you know, jumping around on, you know, on Wikipedia and stuff like that. But some of it I, I did try to drill into to make sure it just wasn't all BS. So for example, this is kind of interesting. Um, there was, he was definitely a Kabbalist, uh, Abraham Zacuto. He was a mentor and advisor to Christopher Columbus. Yes, which is in which is interesting because there's a lot of theories about Columbus's crew and how many of them were conversos. Because if you needed to get out of Spain at that time, it's like, well, this guy's got three ships and yeah. he's heading in the opposite direction. So you know, and maybe there's fame and fortune. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot of and and I think what's relevant about that is that in general, you know, the the Kabbalists and you know, in general, the the Jews of Iberia, let's say, were very advanced in all the sciences and the arts, right? Yes. So to a point that I think got kind of like erased from history. So for example, everyone's heard of the Spanish music called flamenco. But what flamenco means in Spanish is someone from Flanders. So the places where the Jews felt safe were, were like Flanders and Holland, right? Yes. Um, so actually, there were these Jewish troubadours that would travel all around, and they kind of had a, you know, they would get a pass because they were performers, right? They were like early kind of carny people, right? But because they were so uh, good at music, you know, they they were you know such virtuosos at whatever they did, um, they were welcome. And to this day, you can hear. And I wish I was a yeah. I don't know, Dick, maybe you've got more music theory behind you than I do. But I can hear that Middle Eastern, uh, what is it? Uh, um, it's 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 like the type of key or modality they use. I can hear yeah. that in uh, Caribbean music to this day. Like if you listen to Klezmer and listen to Cumbia, it's like the same backbeat, the same type of, you know, chords that they play. It's Anyways, that's... Hey, so, a, lot so, of times, a lot of times they're called uh, they're called scales. They're not actually scales; they're modes. Right, uh, that right, shape, right. That shape how um, that shape how the, the song sounds. Uh, right, like you know yeah. how there's some kind of music you hear it. There's no words, and you're like, that sounds like Native American music, or gee, that sounds like Chinese music. That's that's all that modality that they use. Uh, just like with the, uh, just like with. Uh, uh, mariachi music and stuff like that. You, you yeah. hear a Spanish guitar, you know that they're playing. They those that, that's a, that's one mainly I was referring to is like Spanish. They call them Spanish scales, but it's actually 
uh, modality of playing those scales, you know, flat, uh, flattening certain with certain intervals of the uh, uh, certain intervals as you play, or or sharpening certain intervals as you play. That's what makes it, you know, like in blues scale or in blues playing, you would play, you know, a lot of times they play pentatonic scales and flatten the seventh or play some chromatic notes or or. Uh, yeah, and, and it's it's like with language is that you can trace that back. It, it's not like someone suddenly decided to play the music like this. People used to play in whatever tradition they learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're but it also right. got around, and it, you know, you know how musicians are. It's like, oh man, that was really cool. Let me jam with you and see if I can figure that out. You know, and yeah. Next thing you know, it's it's spreading all <laughs> over the place. So. Um, but likewise with um, astronomy and navigation, and I want to kind of talk further about astronomy, but that, I don't want to go down that rat hole just yet. Um, but uh, what Zacuto's kind of subject matter expertise there was, was supposedly from the Saphir uh, Yetzira. Right. So not only did he advise Christopher Columbus, but he also, uh, you know, told the king of Portugal, hey, you should send this Vasco da Gama guy on his trip. So now He's influencing one expedition, you know, heading towards the Americas and another one going down around the Horn of uh, Africa to India and opening up Asia. So that's, I think that's pretty influential, you know, for one guy, for one yeah. Kabbalist, right? So that was kind of cool. So one of my favorites, um, and I'm going to send you this some, some, at one point I had this fiction project and for some reason I, I just kind of, uh, this figure from history was like perfect to inject in a, you know, just the whole kind of plot line of it. But um, so Manasseh ben Israel, um, he was around that same time frame. His parents were Portuguese, <clears throat> which I'm like, woohoo, my Portuguese heritage. There we go. Um, they fled the Inquisition. So they were in uh, the Netherlands as well. So uh, one of his, this is how kind of connected uh, Manasseh was. So, uh, Espinoza, the Renaissance philosopher, was one of his teachers, or excuse me, one of his uh, pupils. He later got excommunicated by the rabbis. Um, one of his sons, while uh, Manasseh was still alive, had his portrait done by Rembrandt. And he also had established the first, that's why I was asking about the language for the, uh, the Zohar that was uh, published in Rome. He actually established right. the first Hebrew press in the Netherlands. And if you think about it back then, you know, they were, they were, I think in that point, they just did engravings. They didn't have typesetting yet, I don't believe. But yeah, woodcuts. You know, yeah, they, I think that's what they would do. They would do a woodcut and then, you know, use that on the press and they, they would just reproduce pages. Um, but that was a big deal. I mean, he was kind of like the Gutenberg of, of Hebrew, right? Um, so later in life, so he was, <clears throat> excuse me, influenced by uh, another Portuguese explorer and, um, converso named Antonio de Montezinos. Um, he had, he was one of the explorers that actually went to the new world and he had told Manasseh about this lost tribe in South, uh, South America that he was absolutely convinced were Jews. So they were, they were uh, a lost tribe yeah. in Israel and um, they were probably, they were probably the Viracochas, but I can't remember the start. I'd have to go dig back into that one. Um, but again, there are a lot of, you know, similar stories about either the Mayas or maybe the Cherokee. So 
this this was a major well, impetus. Go ahead. I was just going to say, well, it's interesting, too, because in that area, uh, like, if I'm not mistaken, Brazil, mm -hmm. South America, an area there, there's there was a very obvious converso culture. Maybe it was Chile. I, I think, don't no, I remember think it was, right uh, off the Recife. top of my head. I think it was Recife, which was Brazil, but it was the Dutch colony, which yes. the Portuguese, I think, later took over. And then once the yeah. Portuguese got back in there, the Jews were like, we're out of here. And in fact, I think a bunch of them went to New Amsterdam. So they ended up, you know, helping to found what's now New York. I got to go back right. and check my notes on that, but I'm pretty sure that was the progression there. So, so, I mean, and again, this is like this whole new world's being discovered and you've got, you know, conversos and Kabbalists. Um, and I don't want to like equate everybody who was a converso was a Kabbalist, but a lot of them were, I mean, it was very, well, uh, it was a very even, prevalent. Hey, can I want to stop Poppy for just a second. You, you were saying that everybody found, does. Yeah. They, you were saying <laughs> that they, yeah, they want to stop me too. They want to shut us all up, but uh, no, uh, uh, you were talking about that. You said that they found, uh, that they found uh, Jewish folks in another, you know, in another, uh, where was it? You said you, that they found them. It was somewhere in South America. I, I want to say, and, and I, I promise I'll look this up and and yeah. uh, no, you're fine. You're it. fine. Yeah, we'll we'll, uh, we'll post. But, but there's a, a long history of this. So, for example, back in the '80s, they declared the Falasha in Ethiopia. They include them under the law of return and decide they're Jews, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so um, there's also a tribe in South. Africa called the Lembas and they've always claimed to be Jews. Now they're, they're black, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but when they did genetic testing, they, a significant portion of them had what's called the uh, Cohen yes. gene, which was yeah. only the Levites would have. So they were absolutely Jewish. Like not only yeah. were they, were they considered, you know, Jewish in the sense of, you know, in terms of religion, but they were genetically Jewish. There's another, <clears throat> I think it's called B'nai Manasseh in India. So there, there are Jews scattered all over the world. Well, the now, reason I ask, and I'm sure that this will ring a bell, uh, you know, we've talked before uh, the Appalachian intelligence guys, and, and we've actually heard it a couple other places. That's like the the Dutch or the white man, the white Indians, you know, the redheaded mm -hmm, natives mm -hmm. here that they that they talk about. I just wanted to stop you on that because that rung a bell and i'm like whoa whoa wait a second yeah there, there's there's they have found i think that was more somewhere in <clears throat> shoot maybe like around the grand canyon area they they found what yeah. looks like proto hebrew um i remember them talking about that on mysterious universe a couple well, we, months ago. yeah we had touched on that too i think last week okay. we maddie talking about the the uh the caves down there if uh if we, you know we were just speculating on what we thought mm -hmm. you know as far as uh, whether there might be Hebrew uh, yeah. scripture or writings or you know teachings in yeah. you know yep. or or even beings in there. Uh, well, uh, let me ask you, Dick. Have you ever heard? And I'll probably pronounce this wrong. And by the way, you know, we one day we're going to get on a podcast with a rabbi who's going to correct all of our you know pronunciation. <laughs> I'll do um, those words. <laughs> yeah, but um, the, this group called uh, the Melungion. Have you ever heard of this? No, no. Okay. The Melungeons? 
Melungeons, yeah. Yes. I'm yeah, still, yeah. I'm still hung up on slow-mo alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, a real person. Yeah, so the Melungeons, when they found them, and, and again, they were considered like a tri-racial group by the time, you know, like, you know, good old Virginia was doing their racial purity laws, right? So, you know, by that time, they had definitely interbred with the Cherokee and, and with African-Americans. But when they were initially found and they asked, well, well, who are you people? And they would, they said, oh, we're Portuguese. Yeah. So they may have been some lost, but, but in that case, they were probably some lost group of sailors from Portugal who were probably conversos who just ended up, you know, and so, so I think there was a lot of that going on. I don't think it was any one distinct group. Well, and you know, Poppy, something I see a lot of, like, you, there are a lot of rumors, you know, that, like Vikings in Minnesota and all, you know, all this. Uh, and, you know, uh, history, we're not taught this, you know, what we're, we're talking about here, you know, uh, Jews in South America, South Africa, uh, Dutch, Dutch, uh, white Dutch, redheaded natives, you know, Vikings in Minnesota. We're not taught this stuff because the victors always write history. But, right. um, but, uh, or or maybe these maybe they didn't even care at the time but one thing one thing i you tend to learn from from rumors and even stereotypes is there's always a kernel of truth you know uh, john burke on his podcast says that all the time you know there's a kernel <laughs> of truth to everything um but and that's kind of like what that's kind of what i wanted to highlight there yeah you were talking yeah. about that blew my mind you were talking about that but it, it really does blow my mind how many uh you know, when you think the I guess just the nature of of thinking, well, you know, everything we know could possibly be wrong because it, just like you said, these guys even were, you know, had their their uh genealogy tested or whatever. Yeah. Uh these guys in South South Africa and they were, you know, they were Jewish. Uh so it really it really baffles me at uh where we've come to in our knowledge, uh, you know, of our common knowledge, not, not, you know, we, uh, you know, all of us are a little versed in esoteric or, or, or stuff we're not, weren't technically supposed to know, but how, how much common knowledge is, is different from, um, you well, know, from well, what yeah, really and that's, may be. And that's why, like, I'm glad. <clears throat> so Maddie, I know you've got your own, uh, Google Doc with this stuff. I pop mine into the show yeah. notes. Um, Let me sorry, guys. See. I can't open it where I've got. No, no, I know. I know you're having a problem with it. And we'll, and we'll, well, this is what I'd like to do at some point. And I was going to propose this later, but since we're on the topic, um, I, you know, if you're willing to kind of expand your research project here, I, I think there's a lot of material we can dig into here connecting the dots. And, yes. you know, maybe we, get, we, maybe we can get a book out of this. Right, if you're yeah. if you're up for that, hell yeah, Matt, you should totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about it. All right, all right. Well, if nothing else, I just want to have this somewhere because, like I said, I studied this, you know, 15 years ago, and I forgot it all in that time, and now it's you know it's coming back. But I would I would like to, you know, at least have it documented somewhere. <clears throat> and so right, someone right. says, gee, gee, I want to know more about this. Instead of having you go over this all again, say, here, here's a link to my doc, or you know, maybe yeah, we just make and, a little and that's PDF what, out of it, you know. Yeah, that was my that was my plan was once we were done with, with everything, I was gonna drop the whole the whole document somewhere in the Discord 
That way, if anybody was interested in the and what I had typed out, and it's got all my sources linked, so you can just hit the blue link and go right to the website or the YouTube, the actual playlist that I used for some of this stuff. Like that way, it was all there in perpetuity, and we can definitely continue to add to that without okay. a without yeah, a doubt. That would be awesome. That would be yeah. awesome. And you should. Uh, I mean, I would think you know from here on out, just just sock graphics. I think that you pretty much get get a publish. You're gonna get it published for people. I mean, yeah, well, you can self publish it nowadays. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's if you want, if you want to print up some hard copies and sell them at conventions, yeah. I, I would. The value for me would be have something that you know, if people want to buy it as an ebook, you know, don't look to make a lot of money off it, but then you just go hit the podcast circuit and just get this stuff out there, right? Right on. But I would do that not just, you know, kind of regurgitating all this stuff that's already out there, but to start really making some connections to something that I think there's a lot of stuff here nobody's ever considered and and put together. So Right, right. Especially looking at it from from multiple angles. And that's what I like about having, you know, having the boys here, having you here or or what other whatever other guests we may have. We got multiple entertainment value. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you have your opinion and that diversity kind of gives us different thought angles and different points of view on these topics. That way we're not getting, you know, we're not getting well, stuck in a rut. Yeah. And I don't want to sell us short either. One thing I like to do, and I know I sound stupid doing it not you know, silly and it's fun, you know, but mm-hmm. one thing I like to do is really point out the differences in what we're told and programmed to learn and what is actual truth. Um, you know, uh, the stuff that you guys are talking about, you know, you'd be laughed out of a, out of a classroom by somebody who's either claiming to be a, uh, claiming to be a teacher or a professor who themselves has no real knowledge. They're just, you know, these people are programmed and it it goes all the way back to, and I, I'm not trying to run down a deep rabbit hole, but all the way back to the Rockefeller being, uh, you know, Rockefeller and uh, Carnegie's role in our education system. You know, they didn't want a, na- a nation of thinkers. They wanted a nation of workers. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, like like Poppy was saying, though, earlier, you know, you could publish this, you know, for uh, and and even get you, you know, make a little bit off of it. But, you, you know, look, luckily we have tools at our disposal now that, you know, back in the day we didn't have. I mean, hell, you know, I, I put two guitar tracks on the last one that I that I mixed myself in my home studio. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I could never have imagined that when I was younger that would, would have this ability to, you know, both produce content and, you know, absorb content. It's, it's pretty awesome. Oh, it's great too. We get to meet I'm, people I'm like it. you, Poppy. We, you know, Maddie and I met, uh, Maddie and Outlaw and I all met through this stuff, you know. Uh, yeah. Awakened, uh, awakened humanity. I guess is what I, is yeah. what they're referring to us as. <laughs> a band of brothers. Yeah. This is. Yeah. 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 No, I, it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, the community. Yeah, the community we have here. It. That's that's how we get on topics like this, man. The community we have here is so full of knowledge. I mean, you know, the Kabbalah is not something I'm well versed in, obviously, but uh, you know that you know Maddie's field, your field. Uh, you get in, you know, you get into ufology or, uh, uh, you know, certain spiritual things, you know, uh, the outlaw and I are into that stuff, you know, and so 
you pull all this stuff together, you got a lot of awesome content that people that didn't know these, you know, weren't aware of these things or, you know, uh, have something fascinating to, to wrap their mind around. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just been a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of wrap up with Manassas. So <clears throat> all of this stuff he was hearing about the new world. So, and I'll go through this quickly, but he had this theory that, you know, it says in the Bible that someday you're going to realize. Thank you, time, Poppy. We're, we're not pressed for time unless you okay. are. I, I, I talk fast anyways, but uh, <laughs> it says in the Bible someday God, and I believe it was, I want to say it was Isaiah. I should know better, but um, God was going to gather the remnant of his people from all the corners of the earth. Yes. Now, this is before, you know, nowadays, you know, you have the state of Israel, but the Jews were just literally scattered everywhere. And, you know, part of their millennial hope was not only would the Messiah come, but they would have, you know, their own place to live again, um, either Israel or possibly, you know, some new Israel somewhere else. So somehow he got it in his mind. I don't know where, maybe it was revealed to him and, you know, meditating on the Kabbalah. I don't know. So in a lot of languages, the word for England was like Inglaterra or Anglaterra. And he took that as Terra means, you know, earth. Uh, Angla means corner. So he's like the corners of the earth. Anglaterra, right? So he decided he was going, it, it was really important for the Jews to be allowed back into England. And they had been banished, I think, like in the 13th century by Edward I. And they, you know, he just basically just kicked all the Jews out. And um, so at the time, uh, Cromwell had taken out the British monarchy for a certain period. And then you had the Puritans who were, many of whom had been persecuted and went to the Netherlands. So they were interacting uh, with the conversos there. And so there was a lot of affinity between the the Puritan British and the Conversos and the and the Kabbalists to the point where they were starting. So he wrote a book called um, The Hope of Israel, and he wrote it at least in two languages, and then eventually it got translated into English, and it was a sensation in, in England, well, among the Puritans at least. The Royalists didn't like it at all. And and they were the ones who were still very hostile towards the Jews, but they they weren't in power at the time. Mm. So he was eventually the Jews were eventually uh, allowed back in. I believe he died before then, but he at least you know had that uh, you know had that accomplished. But I think more importantly, he really made popular this idea of you know, Jews going to the new world and that that would be something that would, you know, start to kick off this messianic process where God then starts to draw them back in. Um, and there's a lot you can drill down to that. So um, I did a little more digging on his, um, you know, they say, oh, he was a Kabbalist. And, but usually when you hear about Kabbalists, Matty O knows this, They'll, they'll say, here's their lineage, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, they think his master was um, a Kabbalist named uh, Abraham Cohen de Herrera. 
uh, who was also banished. I think in his case, I want to say it was from Spain, but he was a pupil of Israel Sarek, who was a direct disciple. In fact, he was the one, they called him something else like Sarag or something. He was the only real disciple of Luria. Right. So if this is true, and this, this guy Herrera did uh, kind of write a good review of one of his books, of which he had many in, in addition to the uh, in addition to the um, uh, Hope of Israel. So they were both in Amsterdam. It's very likely they knew each other. And I don't, I don't, I think it's very unlikely that he wasn't studying under him. So I think that's a legitimate uh, assumption there. But, you know, there are a lot of historians who think, yeah, he was, he was his teacher. Um, and that would make a lot of sense because at the time, it was Luria. If you were, and you know, it was introductory to, you know, the most advanced stuff that he could teach. It didn't matter if you were trying to learn, you, you sought out Luria or one of Luria's disciples. Um, and just, and like, it's Lurianic Kabbalah was so impactful that it became, it, it worked its way into modern, Modern Jewish theology. So, you know, despite all the resistance, right, right. It was just too, <laughs> it was too good. No, it was too good for them to leave it out. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, and I mean, like when you already consider things like the uh, the some of the stuff from the Talmud and the Mirash and that stuff, like a lot of these things are just commentaries back and forth. So if you're paying attention to one you really can't help but pay attention to another but it also really helped especially with Luria which Luria did rein, brought some things in that really just changed the shape of the game because uh, one of the big core shifts with Luria was reincarnation uh, Gigul mm. if all souls have a root soul that connects them from life to life so you're responsible for all of the good and all of the bad of all of your past lives. So you have to, you have to tikkun, you have to repair not only for the things you've done in your life, but for the things you've done in other lives. And then souls that don't want to leave become dibbics. And that's where you get those attachments. And then they just carry on with what they were doing in their life. Which, which sounds almost like at this host. point, it sounds almost Tibetan, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild. <laughs> That's pretty wild. I wasn't, I, I've heard rabbis, you know, refer to a Jewish soul. Like they yes. talk about a Jewish soul as if it's different than a Gentile soul. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily saying, <laughs> I, I didn't get a sense they were saying it was better or worse. It's just like, mm, this is a Jewish soul, so certain things are not going to work and other things are going to work. It's just, you can't assume it's this, it's, it was, he was, and it was talking about, you know, very spiritual stuff, but it was just, I just yeah. never heard a reference like that before. I thought that's interesting, but yes. I, yeah, yeah. So and that's it, yeah, that's really cool. And it wasn't, it's, it's funny that you, you brought up the, you know, the Eastern kind of blend of the ideology there, because with the Ibor, you have 
almost what's almost kind of reminiscent of a bodhisattva. Hmm. So you've got uh, an ebor is when a righteous person, a righteous person's soul cohabitates with someone's soul to kind of elevate it and bring it closer to whatever it may be, to monad, to Yahweh, to to enlightenment, or or to, you know, Keter, to the crown of the Sephirot, whatever that may be. Um, but that almost, you know, it's kind of like a almost a Bodhisattva thing where this soul, instead of staying wherever it was, it has chosen to come back to this reality to help enhance the lives of others that are still here suffering, which just really rang as like that that Buddhist idea there. Absolutely. Well, what about John the Baptist? <laughs> right. You know, they, that's an they, interesting character. They, yes, yeah, is. and well, you know, a <laughs> lot of people. I know. I think at least in John, it says it was the spirit of Elijah. Yeah. Yes. Now, I got into my first really big theological argument with my with my wife before we were married about this. I don't bring it up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but now I have the Kabbalah, because I had heard it from, I don't know, something like theosophy or something like that. And yeah, you know, I wasn't going to get anywhere with that argument, but now I got now I got the Kabbalists behind me. I'm I'm, I'm come back, baby. Yeah, well, there's the a, Kabbalah. Yeah, <laughs> there a, Yeah, there was a rumor that um, I mean, I'm I'm still trying to look into it, and I can't verify it, or but I can't deny it either. But it's a rumor that John the Baptist was actually uh, an Essene. It, it's very possible. It's very possible. Um, I I've looked into this. It, it's definitely one of those, you know. That's kind of a similar to theosophy, if not a pure theosophy narrative. But a lot of what John did was was very different than yeah. the Judaism at the time. Let's say. Um, because then, then people automatically say, "Well, Jesus wasn't a scene too," you know, and uh, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far, but I, I yeah, think I'm on the John that one is too. a much more likely candidate because he he was obviously so you know he's wearing camel hair. I don't know what that felt like. Maybe it was a way to mortify his flesh. Maybe he didn't <laughs> feel that. It was hot in the desert, so why would you? Yeah. Need? Anyways, he was eating locusts. You know, uh, he was. He was like a, you know, to go again to the Eastern analogy, he was like a fakir. You know, he was a, he was a, yeah. an ascetic, you know. Yes, very much and, an ascetic. And and the Essenes, yeah. from what I remember of reading of them, were, were very, you know, aside from not being able to take a dump on holy days and stuff like that, <laughs> um, you know, they were very particular about their practices. Um, there's a, there's a, connection with them with another group called the Therapeutae, which I think came from the Greeks, possibly the uh, Greek mystery schools, you know, during that whole Hellenization period. Yeah. I mean, I just watched something from Hillsborough College that, you know, straight-laced Christian theologian, and he was talking about, you know, how much the Greeks and Romans, you know, pre, you know, before 
Christ, you know, influenced the Jews. Yes. Because it wasn't all bad. Deal. I mean, they, they yes. both did bad things to them, but, you know, there were, you know, these are two very knowledgeable cultures that they came into contact with. And that's that's not new to the Jews. How many, you know, they went to Egypt. They spent a lot of time in Egypt. You know, someone was pointing out Babylon. the other day. Babylon, Babylon right? Yeah. And um, what do they call Iran back then? It was Persia. Yeah, so, Persia. so yeah. even in Persia, um, there was a lot of intense interaction. And again, you didn't hear Egypt or maybe to some extent Babylon or uh, Persia being talked about in the same way they talked about like Canaan or the Amalekites or, you know, all of those so supposed Nephilim inspired cultures that got wiped out. Right. And right. Anyways, so I don't know. I, I, you also had a lot that didn't want to leave Babylon when, yeah, when the Babylonian yeah. king was like, you can go home. They were like, we don't want to. No, this is nice. Well, I can just imagine like, you know, the one old guy going, oh, they're just going to do the same stupid things again. I'm staying here. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. You know? yeah. And they did. Right. And so that guy was right. And there's a, yeah, there's a large impact. Like there's a whole chunk of Talmud that is literally the Babylonian Talmud. Yeah. A lot of the names of the demons that you see in some of this Klepot uh, stuff, mm. they're either Babylonian or Persian or they're older like Mesopotamian names that have kind of been syncretized into this belief. I think there's probably a Nephilim connection there. What do you think? What's think a fakir? So. Uh, oh, a fakir is like in India. Like there, there were three types of mystics. You had the fakirs, <laughs> and they were they were bad fakirs. Um, no, the fakirs were, fakirs. <laughs> were like they they were they would like go up into the Himalayas and like meditate on ice and melt a hole in it and stuff. So it was all like about mortifying the body. Then you had the yogis that were more about, um, you know, kind of a higher practice. And then you had, uh, crap, what was the, and then you had the ones that were just more, you know, cerebral, I guess. Yeah. Um, actually, the yogis were the ones that were the more spiritual ones. And then there was, I forget the name of them, but there was another group that they were more about helping people. They were like, Shoot, I, I used to know all this stuff. They they would go out and help people, almost like Mother Teresa, right? So there were different spiritual paths, at least in India, and I think you see that replicated in other cultures. But yeah, so so John seemed more like them because he was just out in the desert eating bugs and you know wearing camel hair and just looking like a crazy man, basically. Like the, just cool. I dig January sixth, dude. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like the shaman. Yeah. <laughs> Very much like that. Yeah. That's wow. Wow. I that's cool. I like that connection. I know there's uh you gotta write a song about that, Dick. <laughs> Actually, the uh I, there's some there's some really dark themes in some, in the, the stuff I'm working on for the album. Um okay. Actually the last what 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 ended the last show is called Taste the Sun, and that's that's about sacrifice to mold. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some, there's some definitely some, uh, some dark themes in there. Uh, actually, the one you heard at the beginning of it is a song that I've written called uh, uh, "How the West Was Sold," and it was, 
it, it basically teases the idea of uh, the United States all being a plan from the get go. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 getting persuaded that you know as cool as our country, you know, our founding fathers were. Yeah, we're all Masons. Yeah. Yes, you know, yes. and I'm not saying all Masons were bad, but. I, I've trust me, Poppy. You can't you can't say nothing I haven't already said about them on here. Yeah, um, yeah. I've well, got- again, I mean, I you know, I think that like any type of, you know, initiation based. So I, I, I shared this. Uh, what was it on our call the other night or something? And I, I've already talked, but I was involved with one of these mystery schools when I was younger, and I was out after four years. But it's been I've been dealing with it my whole life. And and so when I get too close to things like that, it freaks me out. Yeah. You know, like, cause I, I just, and that wasn't the worst I've ever come across. There was a, uh, well, I mean, now my family's, uh, my family were, uh, uh, both my maternal, both my maternal grandmother and grandfather who actually are still alive, uh, were, uh, odd fellow and Rebecca. See, and then something just came. Yeah. Oh, so somebody just did a podcast about the Odd Fellow. So our old church was in an Odd Fellow nursing home. Yeah. And my mom lived there. We were just talking about how you know we would stay after church, and the kids would want to run around this place. First of all, parts of which probably should have been condemned. But we were like, no, kids, don't go up into the bell tower. <laughs> that place is creepy AF. God, don't go up there. But you know, my mom would be alone in this place, and nothing. Except for once my brother thought he saw something, but I think it was just a trash bag that was blown in the wind. But it was a creepy play. And again, you'd walk into the library and there was like skull and bones up there. So we should talk about that at some point. Yeah, yeah, well, you're right. And I was actually explaining, see, my grandparents are uh, are very, very uh, Bible Belt Southern Baptist Christians. Um, But my grandfather, of course, back then was... uh, uh, at one time was a police officer who's a talented uh, machinist. Um, you know, did a lot of things. Uh, uh, so he was, you know, he was invited to, to be a part of this. And of course, uh, you know, I said, yeah, probably just a, a lot of prominent businessmen, judges, and, and, uh, and um, you know, courthouse clergy and stuff like that. And he said, yep. And he said, how'd you know that? And I said, I, I know a lot of things. I'll sit down and talk to granddad. And, you know, uh, and I explained to him some of the symbology and he just, I mean, you know, he just kind of shook his head. I don't know if he was shaking his head in agreement or disbelief or what. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, there is a lot of, and a lot of shared themes. Um, you know, there's a lot of shared themes between Oddfellows and Freemasonry. Yeah. I don't know why they had to have one called one thing and one another, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to dig into that someday. But um, you and I both, we'll we'll we'll, we'll have to do that, Pop. All right, that's another project. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. So the only other thing I had was um, this is more recent. So I was finding some really cool information, and one of the things I was kind of looking for for you know future is you know who's got a current podcast on this that would maybe be more open because i don't i don't know if you know kind of more orthodox Hasidim would be that open to talking to a couple of boys from the nations about it mm-hmm. but uh so there there was one i found and it, it, the it, the information on it was pretty cool so i was digging in and it turns out this is kind of a more modern organization that is based on uh 
a rabbi called Yehuda Ashlag, who, oh, dang, where was he initially? He ended up in Israel, um, but he started somewhere else. I, I don't remember if it was Poland. Gee, it just, I just literally read this today. But anyways, so he was called the, um, the Baal Hal Sulam. And um, so he it was very much into Kabbalah for the masses. Um, so and he put his philosophy is very similar to the, at least complementary, I would say, the one, Maddie, you talk about where you're trying to heal the world by kind of rebalancing the Sephiroth, right? Yes. His was very simple. He just said, you know, he, he was focused on the transformation of humanity from the desire the desire to receive to the desire to give which sounds very simplistic almost kind of hippie you know cliche but when you think about that that is a very profound change because how many of us how like how much time like i'll say for myself how much time do i spend doing something that has no benefit for me at all at least not directly right yeah and of course, as a Christian, you know, if you do things for other, you create your treasure in heaven and all that. But this, um, and, and well, the funny part about it is, you know, one thing, you know, I have a little secular gospel I preach to people at work. Um, you know, my whole kind of business approach is is based on what I learned in my very brief undistinguished time in the military which is just about you know being about the mission right right so if you have some higher purpose other than your own benefit and it will make an organization very successful it will attract people that don't care about the mission and only looking to kind of glom on to that success but that is the key to having i think a meaningful life without getting into the spiritual side right and you can certainly then take it from there if you have an opportunity to have that conversation but just trying to you know get shit done at work you know i i work with a lot of younger people you know millennials and and uh gen z and and they don't get it yet but i've got a couple that are like they're figuring it out and that's that's because i've never been a very good mentor you know i was always just kind of a individual performers so that's 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 cool so this is that's what i like about this i I guess is why i'm saying that um and you'll like this maddie he was a complete lurian um and he got a lot of credit for kind of systematizing and breaking down lurianism for like the modern reader who might not have all the context of some of the woo-woo stuff from the middle ages right but um so he was very cool and and um you know, it's for the, you know, they, they get into, he really seems to care about the entire world. And, uh, you know, it's not, and, and the, it definitely didn't give any vibe. And one of the things I found irritating in doing the research, and you probably ran into this too, Maddie, is you talk to a lot of people about Kabbalah. They're like, oh, isn't that that thing that Madonna was into a little while ago? Yeah. Yeah. And that's all they Yeah, but about. that's more, that's more in line with almost, it's I like would, the Hare Krishnas. Kind of, yeah, yeah. It's almost more the hermetic, because you've got three distinct separations. Yeah. Just in overall Kabbalah. You've got Kabbalah of the Jewish culture. You've got a Christian Kabbalah. 
and you've got the hermetic Kabbalah, which is what you see most frequently because that's what's most easily adapted into things like the yeah. OTO um, yeah. and possibly your Freemasonry, depending on what you look at. All right, you know, I'm going to let you take that's... that from here, Maddie, because that I went <laughs> off on a huge tangent on that. But I, I went. Uh, uh, that's that's a good segue. So I pass it back <laughs> to you, my friend, before I, I start yelling at people to get off my lawn here, <laughs> off my Kabbalistic lawn. So, do do any of you fellers by chance know just any even a handful of the we'll say rules to determine the Messiah. No, no, none. There's, uh, there's a lot. <laughs> if you weren't aware, well, I mean, what are we talking here? You talking yeah. from uh, Kabbalistic? So, point of view? no, I don't know. Well, well, just yeah, Kabbalistic view, but also what, just oh, kind what about of from prophecy according. in the in, in yeah, the Old Testament? yeah, from prophecy okay. from okay. just okay. That, from just yeah. Jewish culture. There's like two or three hundred prophecies that would have to be fulfilled yeah. right yeah. <laughs> going traditionally yeah traditionally, so you would yeah. have to have Not esoterically good, but yeah well yeah right. and if you go if you go to new testament on it too you you're you're going to be fooled uh uh most people on earth will be fooled uh more than once before the you know before our actual messiah returns right right so one of the just a handful of these rules that the the Jewish people had to to base who the Messiah was going to be off of. You, of course, had to be born of David's bloodline. Um, You would have to rebuild the ruined cities of Israel. You would construct the third temple. You would be both the king and the high priest. And you would rule for roughly a millennia. But an interesting note is that there was kind of a a rule, pseudo rule, where the Messiah was said to be born on the saddest day of the year. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, interesting thing there, because on March 31st of 1492, Common Era, um, or no, correction there, that's the wrong year for sure. It would have been... 16, 1626. It would have been August 1st, 1626. I was looking at the wrong date there, fellas. My bad. Um, on the saddest day of the Jewish calendar and also a Shabbat day, Shabbatai Zavi was born. So he already, upon birth, ticked off one of the marks for being a possible Messiah. There was kind of an idea here, at least around this time, of a generational Messiah. So people were always kind of looking out for one because there was this idea that one person in every generation, if the time was right, could fill the role of Messiah for the Jewish people. So we've got a we've got a kid born already taken off one of these marks very early on. By like the 1640s, this kid has taken to being an ascetic, meditating on the Zohar and the Hakanah. Um, and then around 16 years old, he had a very awkward dream 
that a flame severely burnt his penis. And this will be important because in his 20s, by his 20s, he was having almost manic depressive episodes. He, what he called depressions and illuminations. He had been married twice and divorced twice because he could not consummate a marriage. Whether that was some sort of mental constraint from dream trauma or whether it was an interaction with some sort of thing, we may never know. Um, but in 1648 specifically, Shabbatai Zavi claimed to be anointed by both the Holy Spirit and the spirit of Elijah to be the Messiah. He didn't tell a lot of people, um, but in in a short period of time, he was exiled, um, probably because he had some weird habits that you'll you'll see here shortly. And uh, he ended up in uh, Salonika and got kicked out of Salonika for marrying a Torah scroll. And then he traveled for a while through Alexandria and Jerusalem and Constantinople um, and then became friends with a prominent leader, a wealthy leader of the Jewish community in Cairo in about 1660. Um, he kind of hangs out for a bit and tells a couple other people like, Hey, I think I might be the Messiah. And they're like, uh, we'll see, I guess, you know, they're just like, okay. Um, not a lot of people were telling him no yet. Cause he was still being quiet about it. He hasn't really gotten in any trouble with any of the chief rabbis. He ends up going back to Jerusalem where he gets real popular and they send him back to Cairo to get some, get some funds up for a fundraiser where he decides to marry a, a prostitute named Sarah, um, which for him, I imagine would have been kind of a mirroring of, was it Hosea that took a wife of whoredom yeah. in the, in the Torah. So that would have been another kind of, that would have been an, a public appearance as a messianic claimant. Um, and then he meets Nathan of Gaza who hangs out with him and they walk from Gaza to Jerusalem to Hebron. And then after walking for what I assume was literal weeks, Nathan of Gaza confirms again, Shabbatai, you are the Messiah. And then he goes into a depression Shabbatai does. We end up with him uh, kind of getting in trouble. He comes out of this with uh, a three-day prayer between Shabbatai and Nathan. He comes out professing his messiahhood, telling people to eat forbidden meats, and tries to perform a sacrifice at the Temple Mount, which at this time would have been under the uh the muslims control and they did not kill him they were like no dude this guy's crazy and they let him ride a horse which was a big deal because jews weren't allowed to ride horses in muslim jerusalem and he was riding a horse around seven times if i'm not mistaken while waving a green banner and then he got kicked out. He got excommunicated by the rabbis of Jerusalem, 
who complained to the chief rabbi in Istanbul. Um, after this, he goes to Aleppo, where he causes even more devastation. He goes into another depression until Hanukkah. Some friends show up. He gets out of this depression. He grabs an axe and chops himself into the Portuguese synagogue, chases the rabbi out with an axe. The rabbi is out the window and then says, hey, I've cleaned it of the clipot. Uh, after this, he, he starts again telling people to eat forbidden foods. Um, his wife tries to seduce one of his opposers. Um, women, he calls women up to read the Torah. Um, he finally consummates his marriage with his wife sometime in the middle of this episode. And then that rabbi that he just chased out of a window, that guy's daughter is uh, professes that Shabbatai is the Messiah. She like goes into a trance state and says, yes, you are the Messiah. Well, then he was arrested again by the Turks and again, released for being insane. This guy's life is nuts. So, uh, roasted he nuts. ends up, <laughs> go ahead. I, he, I said roasted nuts. He, uh, I'm one, I'm starting to wonder if the, uh, if the, uh, the fiery penis dream wasn't a uh, prophecy foretold to him marrying <laughs> <a> prostitute. <laughs> I, uh, I just want to know if at any point somebody said, you're not the Messiah, you're just a naughty boy. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's herpes, brother. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's just insane. They're just like, they literally should have killed this guy by now. And everybody's just like, nah, dude, he's crazy as fuck. Just leave him alone. You know, like, yeah. So people are really falling into this thing. People are really starting to back Shabbatai. Um, he ends up arrested in Istanbul and beaten and thrown into a dungeon. And then his followers bribe him into a nicer dozen dungeon with visitation rights. Um, and of course, like I said, people are like, oh, he's not dead yet. That on its own is a miracle. And so they continue to pour in these bribes. And he just kind of kicking it like a king in this nice dungeon, which doesn't sound right by any means. But that's kind of how it was described. So we're going to roll with it. Now, one of the Cohens, uh, Nehemiah Cohen, um, he he shows up and he's like, I don't think this is right. He tells the Sultan, Hey, you got this guy down here, just big chilling, getting gifts, having visitations. He's got fruit and shit down there, you know, just raising hell. <laughs> and the Sultan's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to fix this. Sultan calls him up and he says, all right, Shabbatai. So you're the Messiah. And Shabbatai's like, Sure. Sultan's like, bet. So what we're going to do is we're going to strip you butt naked and we're going to shoot some arrows at you. And if you're the Messiah, that's not a big deal, right? Shabbatai's like, nah, nah, I'm just a rabbi, fellas. Let's not do this. 
And so Sultan said, okay, so now you're going to convert or you're going to die. And so Shabbatai said, all right, I'll convert. And he converted. He became a Muslim. Um, and then shortly after, his wife became a Muslim. And if I'm not mistaken, that was in September of the year 1666. Um, interesting time frame for all that to be happening. Hmm. Now, they let him, they let him, you know, become a Muslim. And then they kind of gave him a cushy job. Him and Sarah ended up having uh, a son. And then we're sometime after found out to essentially be secretly still practicing Judaism and hence blaspheming against Islam. And so they were exiled again to what is now uh, Montenegro. And it is believed that Shabbatai died on Yom Kippur. Um, obviously, wasn't likely the Messiah. And if you're, you know, of a Christian belief, he definitely was not the Messiah. But what's interesting is that uh, Shabbatism existed until probably the Holocaust. There are still families in in certain areas in, I guess, Iraq now where, you know, people are like, yeah, you know, my my great-grandfather knew some Shabbatai followers, but does, we don't do that. You know, they were practicing so secretly that it continued very, very probably up until the Holocaust. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He had everybody in the Jewish world at the time ready to go back to Israel. Everybody was had their bags packed. This was a devastation to the Jewish people. And it was so some people obviously were like, oh, fool me once, whatever, you know, and went back to their everyday lives. And there were some people that were so dedicated to this that they were like, no, he had to do that so that he could get in good with Sultan or try to convert them or, or what have you. There was, there were a lot of different ideas and I didn't go too deep into that because this, just this guy's life story in itself is a massive rabbit hole going any further into, into what happened into, you know, right before his death is another six page essay that I didn't want to type. <laughs> <laughs> you reminded me of, of old G dub. Fool me one thing on, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. They got a sign in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> they got a sign in Texas. Maybe they, maybe in Tennessee too. I don't know. Oh gosh, that dude cracked me up, man. Dude, uh, what, a, what a freaking retard. Uh, yeah. That I mean, that's a lot. To, you know, that's uh, that's a lot back then that, that that the guy escaped death that many times. That's yeah. Yes. Uh, for yeah, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. Because we we actually talked about it last time. You know, you if you were if you were in uh, any way blasphemous, it was okay for them to go ahead and kill you. They they didn't mind. Yeah. At all. So, so yeah. <laughs> Not at all. And like this, this is where you see those big shifts. This is where you start to see 
almost immediately after they're like, okay, this Kabbalah, you got to shut up about it. We're not, we're not bringing it up. We're not talking about it. It didn't happen. None of this happened. Forget that guy. You know, and of course, like I said, you still had a chunk that had their, their beliefs on why he did it or how, what, you know, the more intricate nature of that situation. Um, but immediately almost there was a, a shutdown. You had to be 40 years old. You had to have a family. You had to have a job. You, you had to be educated already quite well. You know, a lot of this stuff, Talmud and Midrash, those are higher access, like almost rabbinical lore. So you couldn't just you couldn't just start doing it. There were a couple of Kabbalistic centers popping up in like Yemen uh, and Morocco and Kurdistan. Um, the The biggest one I think was in Jerusalem, and it was a, a Lurianic school, of course, and it was kind of a focus on repairing self. Um, and that school stood until the 1920s. And there was another prominent school uh, called Klaus in Brody, Poland, Uh-oh, which is, what? it was called Klaus. Klaus? Yeah. What's and it was that? in Poland. <laughs> um, but that one was more of the, uh, the rational school. And that's the one that produced uh, the Gemara and would become involved with the Hashkalah or the Enlightenment period for, for that culture. Um, and then, of course, right after that, you started having the Hasidism, um, which was kind of just a combat. And that was more focused on the eminence of the divine in everything. So all followers had to be pious and every action had sanctity. And, you know, there were some issues with that where these, they kind of, some of the, the Jewish population, some of the rabbis saw these guys as like just little Shabbatai's. And they were like, hold on guys. We just, we just did this. We're not doing it again. So there's, there's many instances you see kind of back and forth between, uh, what were they called? The Mishnas, Mishnags, and and the Hasids. So there was kind of even really up until currently, I guess Hasidism now, I don't have a lot of interaction with the Jewish culture. So I'm not 100%, but I think uh, Hasidism now is pretty pretty cut and dry. It's, it's not a thing that's an argument anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, when we were in Massachusetts, I we lived within the Aruf district of the Orthodox Temple, and they had. Uh, so, uh, there's another word they use: uh, Haredi Jews, which yeah. is basically Hasidic. Yeah. yeah, some of them would wear the full long coats and fur caps. Yes, um, it was really wild, and. Um, but there was somehow I, I there was we had one neighbor who was actually very sociable in a way he would talk to us because they would walk to Shabbos 
uh, Friday night and then walk, you know, on Saturday. And there's <clears throat> a funny story. One time, uh, the same guy came to our door and he was just standing there. And my wife could kind of see him and she's like, oh, I wonder, but you know, she had talked to him. And so she goes up to the door. She's like, hi, you know, hi, says his name. He's like, you left your keys in the car. And she's like, oh, thank you. And then she realized he was standing there, but he couldn't press the doorbell because it was Shabbos. Yeah. So he was waiting until somebody noticed. He was <laughs> it was really yeah. wild. Yeah. But um. yeah. And that's, that's part of it. That strict adherence to every part of, right, of right. those laws, you know, that's yeah. how you repair. That's, that is tikkun alam. That is the reparation of the world yeah. and hence the reparation of the sefirot and hence the, the reunification of, of Yahweh with man. Now, now so on, the, of... on the um, Masonic front, so there was actually one house there where they had this mural painted on the side of their house. I guess they weren't worried about selling it or anything or just was going to you know, repaint it. <laughs> but um, it, it was a portrait of Rabbi Schneerson, who was one of the most famous modern Hasidic rabbis, very well respected, but there was a big movement saying that that yeah, he was the Messiah. Yeah, and and then there's you know just as many people saying no, he wasn't the Messiah. He was you know a great rabbi and everything. So yeah. it was just interesting mm -hmm. that even like on my street we had people that still mm -hmm. were looking for candidates for the Messiah. Yeah, yeah, and there was a big shift, and part of that shift, I don't, I'm not. I, think i left that out part of that shift um they started to care a lot less about the political idea that you saw traditionally with a messiah and went to a more i guess you could say esoteric idea or spiritual idea of a messiah instead of you know what you have to be a high priest and a king and you have to rebuild everything that's ever been destroyed in israel and you have to build this temple it became more of a more of a spiritual thing where you are simply here to take out the bad. We are doing our best to help repair all of this for your coming so that you can deal with this. And, you know, it was a it was a much looser idea of a messiah at that point. And I just think it's really interesting that in those communities, like they don't like get from what I'm seeing, they don't get like super mad about it. They're just like, that guy's a schmuck. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, like, <laughs> I love it. They just keep walking. Uh, thank you, Poppy. I got the, uh, I got the permission to view that. Uh, oh, you got it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I just want to, if anybody wants to pop in notes and, you know, questions for further research or that type of thing. Like I said, I just, I, I won't remember half of what we talked about. If no, I don't, that's like, that's awesome. Actually, I, I was looking through some of the stuff you got there. Very interesting, man. You take good notes. Uh, th this guy listens to our podcast AI, and as if you look at that doc he sent, he's got a lot of a lot of good questions and notes that uh, we should definitely uh, definitely look at that whole doc and, um, and some things that I can add to it. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, Ouija board tree Caleb put some stuff in there too. Uh, which was yeah. cool so he he popped in some of his own now, notes is that the guy with the demon tree yes yes uh yeah uh, 
shoot, what's his handle? Uh, Y2K, Y2K, Y2Katen. Oh, yeah, that's, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, he's yeah. he's got a he's got a pretty cool niche in the uh well i saw paranormal. something in there uh in your notes though that we actually did cover on the last episode uh, of maddie covered we were talking about the uh, connection between uh the, the kabbalah and uh enoch yeah yeah um, where, where uh enoch turns that's into, a super interesting god. yeah that that transmogrification into the scribe of god uh an entity that was literally at at one point in history called little yahweh that's that is crazy yeah well and you know and it's like we we even mentioned you know uh enoch was one of the two well now depending on what denomination you are some people think there were two enochs uh yeah one one which was the grandfather of noah i think now personal belief i think they're the same but uh, one one which subscribes to that he was and uh the other the or that there were two and there was the that which uh offered the book of enoch and another one which was the grandfather no but i think that i i personally believe they're the same person but um you know if you subscribe to that you know enoch and elijah were the only two ever taken from earth without you know dying of death so uh god did have favor on yeah. Uh, one thing, Maddie, I wanted to ask you because uh, I obviously not a, haven't contributed a lot, but I did skim over some of the stuff that you sent because I did finally get get it open. Um, what I, I haven't uh, in skimming through some of that stuff and reading into it. What What are the current? How does the current uh, uh, true Jewish religion view the Kabbalah? Well, as far as I'm aware, it's it's restricted. It's very restricted in who can study. Like I said, post Shabbatai, forty year old. Yeah, yeah, that's part of the the. You have to be forty. You know, you need to be well educated. Now, obviously, but it is acknowledged. This you know this yes. time is still yeah. you know, still acknowledged as part of the. Yeah, there's the the prayer book, the Siddur, is based off Kabbalistic or it has Kabbalistic origins. There's a couple of different, there's a couple of different ceremonies that I, I may not have in these notes, but I've got in my paper notes um, that are directly linked to Kabbalah. Uh, and like I said, the, the Lorianic stuff, it literally became part of modern Jewish theology. So there's, there are people, of course, who are deniers who are like, no, this, and again, like it's a, it's not a thing we do. It's a thing they do, you know, not us, yeah. them. Um, but for the most part, like I said, cause if I'm not mistaken, the Hasidism is a pretty, a pretty regular thing, you know, and you can go and get the, uh, what, which one was it? The Sefer HaRaziel. You can go get that on microfilm, you know, and carry it around and people believe, Hey, this is going to protect my house from fire, or this is going to grant me some level of spiritual protection. Like this book is so spiritually significant that it, it literally one of the most magical books in existence. Wow. Now, uh, where are you? I don't want to cut you short, but I do, before we get, before we get off, I would like to kind of get your take a summary, your guys, you know, a summary for people, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah, man. Really like where we're at, the, the only thing to really come from here is going to be, you know, the, the hushed stuff. We've got the big schools in Poland, the big school in Jerusalem. And this is where you really start to see that hermetic Kabbalah starting to take form and start to blend with alchemy and your occult stuff. You start to see it used in like the OTO, um, and a lot of the, uh, I guess you could say the British style occult systems. Like I said, there's some reflection of it in Freemasonry. There's obvious uh, use of it with the Rosicrucian symbology. Um, yeah, I mean, Final Fantasy has connections to the Kabbalah. There's a literal character named Sephiroth, you know, like... It's, it is all over the place. And that's one of the things that really kind of pulled me into this in the first place is it doesn't just stop. It becomes very secretive and it becomes very hard to study when you start getting into the deeper stuff because there are massive texts, 13 volumes that haven't even been translated into a form of Hebrew that the everyday Hebrew reading person could take in. And it's, I doubt that we'll see it in a, in a, format of english anytime soon you know like well, so a lot of it starts to get hard oh i'm sorry uh, oh you're fine man I, well i also wanted to highlight you know um you know you talk about mysticism and and the kabbalah the kabbalah itself is you know it's kind of like what uh i guess like a uh damn near manual uh for uh connection with god uh, right yeah i kind of have my my own issues with that but of course, like I have a different viewpoint on like the whole the whole setup. So I kind of walk myself into that, you might say. Um, but I really do think that, you know, no matter what your belief system is, no matter what my belief system is, I still believe in a monad. Everything had to come from something. And that something very may, you know, that that idea of ain't self, no thingness. No thingness had a contraction and then pushed the divine light out, the Ein Sof. And that could very well, this, this Kabbalistic idea of how Galway exploded into existence and that explosion into existence filled the Sephiroth and created reality could very possibly be it. I don't have any argument against that because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I, I, I do think remember there's... having a, an argument with a, a Gen Z uh kid up at the uh college um you know and was like you know of course argue, arguing um evolution versus creation that's and i and i just you know let me break it down in a common sense form uh you know a, a common sense idea that maybe you can understand have you ever seen a house build itself i haven't i haven't seen that never don't get me wrong <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've seen many. I've seen many houses built, but I've never seen one build itself. If you do find one of those, let me know because I need to find the ingredients to to make that happen. But uh, right, is it does it produce asexually? Because if yeah. it just starts growing other houses, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, but that's not how it works. Uh, and, and not only that, you know, the, does it. Does it come with all the amenities that we've been given? You know, does it? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. is it suited for for life as as we've been, uh, you know, as we've been pampered 
uh, it it just doesn't happen. But you know, and that, that was just you know, I can't say I wasn't there, just like you said. But uh, I can put a commonsensical point of view on it and say, well, you know, uh, it didn't just happen. And right. if, you th- <laughs> and if you subscribe to the fact that it did just happen, then you are, then you must subscribe to miracles too. So. Uh, we're going to meet somewhere along that line. <laughs> it it yeah. takes more faith to believe what you believe than what I believe. Yeah. You know, if you think this all just happened by accident, boy, yeah, that, that takes a lot. Yeah. Of faith. That's a, that's, that's what I would call a leap in logic. Well, um, that's what I call fallacy. <laughs> that's what I call fallacy because you, yeah. you believe in the powers uh, or you believe in, in the research that uh, a group of uh, uh people who call themselves scientists subscribe to with absolutely zero physical evidence of, and uh, you discredit obviously every bit of evidential uh, um, accumulation of evidence that we've got to, to support the, the scriptures, you know, not just in Christianity and a lot of the, a lot of religions. Yeah. Well, where are we at, man? Yeah. You want to, I mean, I, I guess uh, you kind of gave a good summary there. I mean, I I reckon I did. I don't know. You tell me, man. I'm new to this. I don't know what I'm doing. I do. I would like to say, like, if this is something you're interested in, don't be afraid to look into it. But definitely when you're looking into these things, take a minute to to do whatever you got to do to make sure you're in the right space, because some of this stuff gets heavy. You know, some of this, just these ideas, just these ideas, the concepts can take days to figure out and untangle especially if you're not coming from that heritage or that perspective and please don't just jump into the middle of something when i was doing this research i saw a lot of things about you know the clipot or this tree of death this inverse more root system than tree system to the sephirotic tree and I really don't think that's a good place to start with this sort of research because focusing on that negative aspect is only going to get you further down that root system. And I feel like if you're going to look into that, you should look into it after you've gotten maybe a little further up the tree system um, just to keep a very positive balance in situations like that. Always, always protect yourself, whether you're watching stuff that has overt spirituality involved in it or reading, you know, especially old texts and these, these intricate concepts of, you know, good and evil or, or whatever it may be. Always make sure you're in the right space for that stuff. Cause it can, it can do some damage if you're not careful, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and we were talking uh, just last night on the chat about, you know, I, I think for some people, if you're not getting the vibe that this is right for you right now, yeah, just set it aside. You know, don't nothing wrong. Like we were talking about spiritual kryptonite. Like for me right now, it's the, the whole uh, unbinding hellier thing. It's like something's just telling me, nah, you don't, you don't need to go there right now. I mean, everybody else has given all this great analysis of it. Like, okay, I feel like I know what's going on, but <laughs> just because of some of my past supernatural trauma, I'm just I'm just seeing red lights and saying, nah, don't don't spend too much time on this right now. 
I'm interested. I mean, yeah. but something's, you, something's you waving me off. I've been thinking about, yeah. uh, I've been hearing a lot about it, wanting to watch it. Maddie's, Maddie has seen it and it was like, mm. and when Maddie does that. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't take it. I don't take it lightly. But, you know, like uh, to, to add to what you and Maddie are talking about, if you have the, if you have the, the inquisitive mind that you're wanting to learn some of these things that's a good thing you're breaking you're breaking out of that paradigm of your uh blue collar default uh avatar that society's giving you and you're trying to be you know uh you're trying to make yourself well versed in in more than just uh simple everyday academic uh go get your job done type of uh shell that's put around you by society and that's a good thing you know we we, we need people that are thinkers and we need people that are you know that uh the people that that rockefeller didn't uh you know that weren't that weren't his cup of tea we need that yeah i i don't see right like at the yeah at this point the, the kind of academics that are coming out this is actually hard and nothing they've done in their careers have been hard it's just about kind of regurgitating virtue signaling i think you'd be better off being someone who's learned a hard trade because it's there's kind of some plumbing involved here spiritually i don't know i don't know if that sounds yeah. crazy maddie but we're talking some no mm -hmm. we're talking like the rot works of the universe here you, you may be better prepared yes. for that understanding a, a, a practical discipline Yes, and whatever passes for academia right now, which is pretty fluffy, as far as I'm concerned. I yeah. I agree, you know, because that's what I was. I was a history major. I was, I, I wanted to be in a museum, you know, like that was my end goal. But that's still attached to academia, and I, I go to a museum to see you. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, I don't. I'm not much of a conformist. I have a hard time, you know given much of a damn about it uh which leads to problems i will admit you know sometimes you don't give enough dams and it's bad but i'm learning to put a to put a choke on that you know <laughs> um, well, don't yeah but, don't ever completely sell out because you we, we all oh, gotta, no 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 yeah we all gotta go to work and make some money and everything but you know this is one of the reasons why I do this because, you know, uh, I, I can't just go, what would you do this weekend, Joe? Oh, you know, I was on a podcast discussing the Kabbalah, and everyone's just going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, anyways, what about them rams? You know, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, well, you know, it's like like, like they say, uh, Joe, uh, uh, give them bread and circuses, and they'll be entertained, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, nothing against, you know, football or sports. That's, I, that's great, and especially if you're a yeah. kid. I think it's awesome, but oh yeah, I know. coach my kid. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, you know, it's I, fun, but... I I can't always just bring my authentic self to work. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I definitely can. I <laughs> yeah. have a tendency to offend folks. That's I do too. Good. That's why they leave me alone. I love it. <laughs> yeah, they just <laughs> they just let me do my own thing in my corner. They don't bother me. They'll check on me and be, hey, you all right? Yeah. I'm Fine. Okay. Good. I'm just like the the Shabbat guy. They're like that dude's fucking crazy. Don't even go back there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Precisely. <laughs> Leave yeah. him back there. He'll get his job done. And as long as they don't start shooting arrows at you, you're good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, yeah, that's uh, I, I'm I take my weird with me everywhere. I wear it, uh, I wear it on my shirt, but it's uh, it, you know, I'm I'm with you though. I, I I think it's very important that we have people that uh, you know, like you and Maddie outlaw with you know, everybody in our community that that has enough uh. Of an, of an inquisitive mind to uh, want to uh, do something other than watch TV yeah. and go go to work and yeah. come home and go to sleep. That's it. Yeah. Well, and it's also awesome that, you know, again, I, I've been into my weird stuff as a solitary pursuit for years. And, you know, then the internet came and I could kind of, but this is like, for me, it's next level because now I can actually same yeah crowd yeah well I, I can crowdsource things i'm interested in that i can get other people interested in you know yeah like i it, it just the end result people were all you know we mentioned this earlier having a bunch of people working on it like maddie has got one perspective you know dick you have another one uh, outlaw's got another one and and you know we start to kind of put it together and, and somebody pointed this out on some recent either powwow or some podcast, but it's not like the regular internet where we're fighting with each other, you know? Yeah. Even yeah, if that was going to be my point too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But what's a big, that's a big deal. That's a big point. It is. I'm not saying I agree with every single person, you know, it appears on every podcast, but it's like, well, you know, you did a pretty good job stating your case. I don't, there's some fundamental things I don't agree with you on, but yeah, we can discuss it. We can kind of figure this out, you know, I can at least yeah. respect where you're coming from. Yeah. You know? That's one good right thing on. we've talked about from, from the beginning is the community that we have is just absolutely wonderful. I mean, it's, you don't, you don't have a lot of, you don't have the uh, infighting and you don't have, you know, uh, people present ideas. Some may subscribe to it, some may not. And, um, and if they don't, they're polite enough to, you know, to go on to the next topic, you know? Yeah. Um, no trolls. Yeah. We're in it. Yeah. You know, we're all in it together. None of us are, none of us are less intelligent than what we came in here with, you know, we're all learning from each other. Um, you know, that's a, that, that's a, a good thing. That's a good yeah, thing. Amen to can, that. Uh, when you can have a good community, like what we have, you know, we try to help each other out. Um, it's, you know, um, it's for the betterment of everybody, not just one person. Nobody's, you know, nobody's, uh, you know, imposing their ideas on each other. It's just a, it's, it's a discussion and we're all interested in, in most of the things that we, that we bring up and it's, uh, you know, try to make it fun for everybody and, and you get to take something else home with you at the end of the day, you know? Okay, Dick, get out the car. We're, uh, the guitar, we're singing Kumbaya right now. Yeah. We're doing yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, no. No, that's uh, it's like a metal. We'll do a metal version of Kumbaya. How about that? Yeah, I, I, I mine's more, uh, I, I'm more classic rock oriented, but, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, well, I say that blues, classic rock, everything from bluegrass to classic rock, you know, I've, I've played it all. Um, enjoy it, you know. Well, guys, we're going to close up another episode. Um, I, is there anything, anything, anybody you want to shout out, Poppy? Um, yeah, I just can't think of anything. <laughs> it's like when my brother asked me to do the, the, the toast spot, at his man. wedding. Yeah, yeah, come back to me. I'll think of something. But yeah, oh, no, I just, I just, I'm just guys, like really psyched to be here and love you all on the Discord. That's been a lot of fun too. 
Absolutely, um, man. You're Absolutely. lively we bunch. We love having you, brother. You're lively <laughs> yeah, bunch. Got a, like we got a solid yeah. community. Got some yeah. dank memes and stuff. <laughs> don't don't mind old guys, you know, kind of shooting their mouths off. So it's a good place. I like it. Oh yeah, we do, dude. It's a, it's for everybody, man. We try to make it that way. Um, but yeah, it, what about uh, Maddie Outlaw? Y'all have anything to add? We need to uh, any business we haven't covered. Don't buy medicine from Latin American markets. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the taco that's like it reminds me of uh of cheech telling chong not to buy the tacos in mexico he's like well man yeah. it's good and he's like he's like it's probably dog and he's like man that's some good dog <laughs> uh no I, anyways no yeah no, i apologize guys i haven't been myself it's just like i said it's that medicine i took for the cold I've been having for two weeks now, and I think I finally put a stop to it. But isn't that the excuse Roseanne used? <laughs> I took some cold medicine. <laughs> Didn't mean to say that. Yeah, I took some cough medicine, dropped some in bombs. It was a good weekend. We had fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh Lord. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Now we um we we appreciate everybody. Um uh, this is this has been a fun one um and we've got uh we definitely got some good stuff in the works coming up uh we've got uh of course Zoe Quinn I think she's going to come back on um and her uh, she's getting ready to start her own uh her own podcast venture and um and we've got that uh we've got an episode of uh uh where we uh, join Tommy Cullen with the Let's Get Freaky podcast uh he'll be dropping that here soon and uh and then um maddie and outlaw and i have a uh a pretty good episode on alice bailey coming up too so i'm i'm pretty stoked for that uh Sweet. yeah yeah she was a bitch um <laughs> <laughs> uh i just hate i just hate elites and everybody tied to them i don't know what it is uh but anyway it's not for listening guys and uh till next time we'll see you next tuesday Ciao for now.